came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning, four days away from Thanksgiving. We have one great show for you today. We have Admiral Stavridis to tell us what's going on in the world. He was Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. We have uh, Attorney General Mayoris to tell us about Attorney General races. What's going on? Scaramucci calling in from the uh, Middle East cryptocurrency. Nuclear bomb has gone off of cryptocurrency. Dr. Peter Michalos on Catching up, living longer. Um, Mario Economo on Europe. And let's start off with Senator Rick Scott to tell us what happened to a red wave. Hey, John, how are you doing? And what's for, right now for the country, um, I think it's a pretty tough time. I think inflation's not going away. I don't think the job market's great. Um, the border's open. Um, our military's become woke rather than lethal. Um, there's a lot of Democrats who don't want our parents involved in their schools. Crime's up. So I think when you look at the country, I think most of us and most Americans think we're heading on the, down the wrong uh, path. With the, with the election, and we still have one to go, uh, I've been campaigning quite a bit with Herschel Walker down in Georgia. We've got to help him. Anybody that wants to help him, you can go to TeamHerschel.com, TeamHerschel.com. You can donate. You can volunteer, TeamHerschel.com. But you know, we still, if we can get that, we'll at least have a 50 50 Senate, which is really important uh, because what happens in our committees, then we have the same number of Republicans as Democrats. And so if they can't get one of us to go along with them, they can't pass legislation that we don't like, things like that. Uh, can't approve nominees. So we've got to, we've got to win this race. But I, I think the key is that we can't just be against Democrats. We have to be for something. And, you know, so many Republicans, you know, are. You know, they want to talk about how bad the other side is, but we've got to be very clear. What are we going to do about inflation? What are we going to do about crime? What are we going to do about parental involvement in schools? What are we going to do about this woke military? What are we going to do about securing the border? And we've got to push our ideas uh, and then do everything we can uh, to you know, block the socialist movement of the Democrats. And we've got to be a brick wall to what they're trying to do. We can't just, oh, wait, let's just slow it down a little bit. We've got to be a brick wall to the stuff the Democrats are doing right now in our country. Well, I was very concerned about our border states especially. Uh, I was concerned that we lost Arizona, the GOP lost Arizona, because of all, all the problems Arizona has. I, I mean, they're crossing the border. Uh, the fentanyl that's coming through the borders is killing 100,000 Americans. Uh, wh what went wrong in Arizona? You know, again, I, I think that what happened is we, you know, we, we talked about the problems in Arizona. We, we know that I think it's clear that, um, that Mark Kelly is voted for an open border, doesn't care about the border. But we have to really be very aggressive about what our, what our message is going to be. And I think it can't just be done race by race. I think we have to do that out of D.C. also. And I think people have to see that Republicans are going to stand up and actually be a force to stop uh, these radical left-wing ideas. And 
if we don't, I think it'll be very hard for people to say, why elect us? And so I'm, I'm going to keep fighting uh, to win elections. Friday afternoon, the attorney general uh, put up a special counsel to go after uh, Trump all over again. I mean, it's almost like we're a banana republic. I, I go after you, you go after us. You know what our federal government's got to start doing? They've got to be very transparent of their actions. The FBI, DOJ, all of them have to be very transparent why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, some of these things are unprecedented uh, to go after a former president. And I think as a result, our federal government has got to be more transparent. I've been, I've been saying that to the Department of Justice and to the FBI. You've got, to, you've got to tell people why you're doing what you're doing. It's unprecedented to go after a former president. And so you just can't be doing those things if you can't explain to the American public why you're doing it. Uh, they, you know, look, I'm not suggesting anything they're doing is wrong. And what I'm suggesting is, is that what, what they're doing is not – they're not explaining that. And so it just makes – the public can look at that and say, look, this sure seems like a political vendetta against a former president. I, I agree 100 percent. And our FBI director, uh, Chris Wray, uh, was, was before the Senate the other day and was very slow in answering certain questions. Are you concerned the overwhelming power of the Department of Justice is the Department of Justice is politicized? They try to politicize uh, the FBI in Washington. It sure looks like it. But we got that's why I I I, I was in the Senate committee hearing with Christopher Ray and I told him that. I said, You've got to understand that right now the public has lost confidence. Uh, and and part of that is because of action you're taking, which we don't have enough good information to know if you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Just like the uh, Communist Party now has has police stations in the country. What are you doing about that? And so what are you doing about this, you know, the the idea that you're going to get Facebook and Twitter uh, to block content? You got I mean, you've got to be way more transparent about what you're doing. We've given an unbelievable amount of power to these federal agencies, and they've got to be way more transparent what they're doing. And our job in Congress is to hold them accountable. You guys did a great job in Florida in protecting the rights of people. I mean, Governor DeSantis won by 19 points. When I got elected in 2010, we were able to turn around the economy of Florida. I think people want to move to places where they see there's an abundance of jobs, where there's parental involvement in schools, where uh, the sheriffs actually do their job and keep the crime rate down. And so I think that's exactly what Americans want. And we've got to do that across the country. And when we do, uh, we're going to win elections. And so I think we have to you know, govern the way we campaign. Um, that's why uh, in the Senate, I fight for how we're going to improve this economy. We've got to get this inflation out of uh, down to, to, you know, to zero, in my opinion, not even 2%. We've got to get the inflation out of this economy. We've got to get more jobs in the economy. We've got to get American companies to do better and better and better. Uh, we've got to get parental involvement in schools. We've got to help our sheriffs and police chiefs to get this crime rate down and secure this border and, and focus on our military. If we do that, well, we're going to win elections. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Because on Friday afternoon, they came up uh, with a report that uh, uh, home sales plunged to the lowest level in 10 years. And, you know, I've been yelling about instead of raising interest rates, why don't you fix the problem and open up the spigots of oil so we can produce more oil and bring the prices down in order to get rid of inflation instead of breaking the real estate industry. John, they're doing, that's exactly what they're doing. The Democrats and Joe Biden have intentionally caused energy prices to go up. 
what that's done is that the energy is in everything. You, if you want to have a good economy, you have to have less expensive energy. Uh, so as a result, everything's gone up, and interest rates have gone up. And as interest rates go up, interest rates go up, we have fewer home sales. And as we have a fewer home sales, we're going to have fewer jobs. So ultimately, the end, you're hurting families all across our country. In Florida, we have more people going to banks than probably ever. And there's pe- so many people I've talked to that have never gone to a food bank before. There's people that are getting out of retirement or postponing their retirement because of this inflation. It's all caused by high gas prices and caused by big government. It's also caused by the Federal Reserve building a balance sheet and causing an unbelievable misallocation of capital. Uh, so we've got to start reining in our federal government because what they're doing is hurting American jobs. Senator Rick Scott, thank you for everything you've done for our country. The state of Florida, eight years as, uh, as governor, and then uh, how many years so far as a U.S. senator? Four years. Four years. So by my... Uh, uh, and right now, I'm I'm focused on uh, you know Herschel's race. We've got to win that race. So always, everybody that wants to go help Herschel, go to teamherschel.com. We've got to make sure Herschel Walker becomes the 50th uh, Republican senator in the Senate. Well, I think we need equality in the Senate, in, in the Senate, and I'm going to do that myself because uh, if we have equality in the Senate, at least uh, uh, we our country will get the right thing done. Yeah, John will be able to stop a lot of the radical policies, so we're going to keep doing it. Thanks for all your hard work, by the way. With us today, our in-house genius on on uh, medicine and uh, science. He's got breaking news for Elon Musk. You can't go to Mars. There's a problem. Dr. Peter Mihalos, tell us what's the problem we're going to Mars. Well, one of the things that people often forget to talk about is something called space radiation and Space radiation basically places astronauts at significant risk for radiation sickness and the lifetime risk of cancer, central nervous system effects, and degenerative diseases. And there are three kinds of space radiation. There's galactic cosmic rays, which originate outside of our solar system. There's solar particles that are emitted during solar flares. And one of the things we've talked about in the past is that people who were born during periods of peak solar flares, those people, they statistically look back at... uh, data for the last 150 years, and they found that those people die much younger. And if you were exposed to that radiation during gestation and during your uh, first year of life, you don't live as long. But now we know that that might be the same problem with space. There's a third type of radiation, which is radiation trapped by the Earth's uh, magnetic field, but that's not as bad. Basically, what happens is the Earth, as we're sitting here, spins 1,000 miles an hour. Inside all that molten metal in the center of the Earth is like an electric motor. As it spins, it creates an electromagnetic field, and that magnetic sphere is actually powerful, and it repels various types of radiation that we just mentioned. In addition, we're also going around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour, and on top of that, our entire solar system is moving around the galaxy at 140 miles a second. Everything is moving, everything is alive, and there are powerful radiation forces, but the Earth is our home and it protects us through this magnetic field. The problem is once you travel beyond that fear, it's a problem. Low orbiting things like the space shuttle or the uh, various satellites in space or space stations, they're actually somewhat protected still because they're within the limits of the Earth's magnetosphere. Once you exit and you go to the moon and to Mars, guess what? No more shielding. So, and you can get radiation sickness, various types of cancer, and the bone marrow is significantly affected by these types of radiation. 
There are some shielding things like polyethylene, which is a material rich in hydrogen that seems to absorb and repel some of the radiation. That's in the crew quarters and where they sleep, for example, in the uh, space stations. But long term to go out spacewalks and things like that in Mars, basically these people would probably get cataracts by the time they reached Mars and they would have problems. So the technology hasn't really caught up how to protect the human body from uh, space and space radiation. Of course, the length of the mission and uh, exactly where your position related to the sun is also very important. But these are some of the issues that uh, scientists still have to think about before we uh, think that people can live beyond the boundaries of the protective Earth. And that's why it's so important that we protect our planet and even the ozone layer, how important it is, because it blocks the UVC, which is the super high frequency radiation that can cause skin cancer. And basically, if it wasn't for the ozone layer, we would all fry. UVA and UVB are associated with skin cancers and sun tanning, but UVC is the high energy radiation that they actually use to cut microchips. It's so powerful. We have to respect the Earth and uh, think a little bit more before we plan on making trips to the moon and Mars and the limits of our frail uh, human anatomy. Shouldn't have NASA thought about this already? And uh, uh, is there plans in NASA what to do? Well, there are. There's a whole division, and they consider uh, astronauts as, uh, as radiation workers, and they get measured and monitored. But again, long-term, it's a problem. When we start going beyond uh, the, the uh, atmosphere and we go to the moon or Mars, we're going to see long-term. So you might make it to Mars, but you might end up having you know, multiple cancers. The other interesting thing is that they worry that uh, in addition to cataracts and cancer, there'll be steril sterility in these astronauts. And in addition, the mutagenic changes on their DNA will cause damage that can be generational, that they can even pass on these mutations to their future uh, children and grandchildren. So there's a lot going on there, and there's a lot more we're going to hear about. So hopefully technology improves. Uh, maybe we can create some type of artificial magnetosphere around these colonies or planets and other areas, just like in Star Trek when they had force fields and things like that. But at this time, the science hasn't caught up to that. But it will be fascinating to watch all these things as they uh, transpire, and we'll continue to report on WABC how to keep everyone on Earth and our astronauts no. safe. We're going to call NASA and try to have somebody on from there and see what their reaction is to this and see if they have answers. I guess you could put enough shielding around uh, uh, the spacecraft going to Mars. Once you get out of the spacecraft, I guess it's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Spacewalks, repairs, all these things that uh, we still have to work out. But again, it sounds very exciting to go to Mars, but for now, I think we're going to be seeing the unmanned probes doing these types of things when we leave the protection of our beautiful planet Earth. We're just going to wait and see. And a lot of times our technology gets ahead of uh, our ideas. Dr. Peter Michalos, thank you so much. And uh, we'll catch up again real, real soon. Thanks for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Attorney General uh, Jason Miares. Uh, he's Cuban. And uh, that means he's one tough guy. Uh, and uh, he represents the state of Virginia. And uh, also, besides doing his normal job of, as Attorney General of Virginia, uh, Attorney General, what else? Uh, I am the national chairman of uh, uh, the tip of the spear challenging a lot of these Soros left-wing 
social justice prosecutors. It's called Protecting Americans Action Fund. And so our goal is to finally provide a counterbalance to all of this left-wing special interest money that gets dumped in, takes out a lot of these prosecutors, and gets elected people that think they are more social workers than prosecutors, and they have a criminal-first, victim-last mentality. And so this past cycle, we got involved in 13 races. We won nine of them. So it takes a, brings me a lot of joy going head-to-head against Soros prosecutors and getting them out of office or defeating them so they don't take office. And you just want honesty and integrity in the, in the system. Is that correct? Right. We just want um, people are going to call balls and strikes and actually have a mentality that if you commit violent crime, uh, that you're going to do the time, that you're going to be prosecuted. The quickest way to lower violent crime is you get repeat violent offenders off our streets. I mean, the joke uh, in Washington right now uh, is if you're a Democrat, nothing happens to you. And uh, if you're a Republican, you're going to be in solitary confinement. <laughs> and it's not good that the American people feel that way. Part of our problem right now is too many people in too many areas, the law abiding are looking over their shoulder in fear. And the people that should be looking over their shoulder in fear should be the law breaking. And right now they feel in certain areas where you have these Soros or these left wing prosecutors. They're not looking over their shoulder in fear because they know they won't be prosecuted. And it breeds a spirit of lawlessness that I think then hurts people. I mean, I, I'm a big believer that high crime can produce poverty. Small businesses don't locate in areas where there's high crime. And if you have a high crime area, it means that you're not, not going to have a small business. You're not going to have grocery stores or drug stores are closing. And then people are literally too scared to walk the streets at night. It's tragic. And so you see that across the country. And a lot of it are these prosecutors that are very left-wing and they think just because they have good intentions it's going to guarantee good results the results have been horrific violent crime is up all across the country there's a lot of reasons for it one of which is we've had a soft on crime mentality that has a revolving door these prosecutors treat it like a catch and release program and that's why this organization exists it's a big reason why one is attorney general in virginia this last year with glenn youngkin is the murder rate in virginia was at a two decade plus high and we came in and Virginians were tired of it. I don't understand. Uh, the, you're Cuban. The Hispanic community is helping a great deal on law and order and common sense. As a matter of fact, uh, I understand that uh, the people from Venezuela and the people from Cuba that are migrants, that the government is not necessarily letting them in right away uh, because you know how bad socialism and communism is. <laughs> Well, they say the it's people. Happening. Well, they say the people that are most against socialism are the people that have actually lived under it. And you're exactly right. I think you're seeing a lot of the influx of the GOP and the Latino community because they come from areas where the government tries to control every aspect of your life. But they also know this is an exceptional country. The New York Times interviewed me um, about a month ago, and they wanted to know why there was such an appeal of the GOP with with new immigrants. And I said, you know, it used to be both parties talked about the American dream and American exceptionalism. One party walked away from it. It was the Democratic Party. And so now if you're a new immigrant. You're hearing one party describe America as an exceptional, amazing country that it gives more second chances than any country that's ever existed. And then you have another party that basically says America is irretrievably broken and irredeemable. Which party do you think? is going to be more appealing to immigrants who know this is an amazing country. This is the last best hope on earth to describe it from Lincoln. And they understand that. And so um, you're right. The, both the influx of both Venezuela and Cubanos and those from Nicaragua, those that have lived under these Marxist dictatorships, uh, they have such appreciation for who we are and they're entrepreneurial. And that's why I think you, 
you're seeing them increasingly move towards the GOP. I see. We cannot save the whole world. And I believe in checks and balances. We, you know, we can't let everybody in. And yeah. that's why I've said to some of our Democratic senators, and you know what I've said to them? Maybe we should set up Ellis Island type operations along the Texas coast, along the Arizona coast, and say, all right, let's have checks and balances. Let's make sure you're not a terrorist. Let's not make sure you just didn't get out of uh, jail in uh, Costa Rica. So let's make sure that you don't have a, a disease uh, or, or your kids have disease. They're gonna, they're, if, they, if we put them in the school, they don't get the American kids sick. I mean, it's all about checks and balances. Immigration, yes, but checks and balances, yes, too. We are a generous country. We allow over a million legal immigrants a year. And, and that's a good thing. But where the American people get frustrated is, on one hand, we're the most generous with our legal immigration, but then there's people that want to take advantage of our generosity. And Americans get tired of it. And what's happening on the southern border, when my mother came and legally immigrated from Cuba, there's a variety of questions she had to ask and, and prove that both her health and a variety of different, that she wasn't a terrorist. The people crossing our border illegal do not need to ask, answer any of those questions. And it is also breeding a humanitarian crisis, both for the human trafficking, enough fentanyl crosses our southern border to kill every single American uh, in this country two or three times over. There's just a study that came out from Stanford that said we lost 100,000 Americans last year alone, the last 12 months of fentanyl. In 12 months, you lost 100,000 Americans. In Vietnam, Korea, and Afghanistan, you lost 107,000 mm -hmm. for the entire war. Yeah. I mean, this is... Do you think our country is under attack? Uh, you, know, uh, you know what the people have said to me? Maybe the Chinese are getting even for the opium wars back in the uh, turn Listen, of the century. They have long memories, and I think the chemicals that are, that are making the fentanyl of the cartels are coming from China. There's zero doubt about that. And there's a study just out of Stanford that said if, if right now on the current trajectory, we're estimated to lose one, over 1 million Americans will be dead by the year 2029 because of fentanyl and opioids. We are just seeing, this is what's so scary, we are now emerging Narcan-resistant, a fentanyl derivative that's Narcan-resistant. You know, Narcan has saved a lot of lives. Imagine the death toll once that becomes common, where not, Narcan won't bring your loved one back. It's going to be devastating. It is chemical warfare. What's happening on our southern border, the fentanyl coming over, is chemical warfare. And what's so infuriating is the only reason why this is happening is a lack of will from Washington. That's it. And it's, You're 100 it, it's so right. difficult. You're 100% yeah. right. Yeah. Well, Attorney General Mayares, I yes. said it right. Excellent. Uh, thank you for everything you do for America. God bless you. And keep fighting for uh, America. I'm an immigrant, too. I came over, not on the Mayflower, I came over when I was six months old, and um, I fight hard for America. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Uno. He's your numero uno. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. With us today is Admiral James Stavridis. 
He's vice chairman of the global affairs of the Carlisle Group and chairman of the board of trustees of the Rockefeller Foundation. And he was supreme allied commander for four years of all of NATO. I mean, uh, those are some credentials. Uh, good morning, Admiral uh, Stavridis. Uh, uh, let's talk about the world. Uh, it's getting more complicated. It really is. And I think on everybody's mind is uh, a near miss, if you will, John, from uh, last week, which was a missile strike that came from the vicinity of Ukraine and landed in Poland. It killed two Polish farmers, tragically. Initially, uh, many thought that this was a Russian missile, and certainly uh, NATO was in the process of investigating, the Poles were investigating. Uh, It turns out all the evidence now suggests that this was a Ukrainian air defense missile, an S-300 that the Ukrainians had fired at an incoming Russian uh, missile. And inadvertently, the the Ukrainian missile is the one that has landed in Poland. However, we ought to make two points here, John. One is still under investigation. Uh, We'll know more, I think, in the days and weeks ahead. But a second and more important point, no matter if it was a Ukrainian missile or a Russian missile, it's Russian culpability. Russia was in the process of launching massive airstrikes against the Ukrainian electric grid. Uh, They started this war. The the culpability for these killings in Poland rests pretty firmly with the Russians. So um, that had the whole system at a high state of alert, John, and it just indicates how tense the situation continues to be in this war in Ukraine. How far into the border of Poland did it land? Was it just by, was it an accident or was it intentionally? It was an accident from all evidence. And it was uh, not far, maybe uh, somewhere between five and 10 miles inside the Ukrainian-Polish border. So uh, quite logically, it could have been a Russian missile that went astray. Uh, again, all the evidence that I've seen points to the the high probability that it was a Ukrainian missile, an air defense missile fired at a Russian missile that then ended up landing in Poland. I know we, 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 uh, Admiral, we had a discussion uh, uh, about a month ago, uh, and and you felt that uh, eventually there's going to be, over the next six months, there's going to be peace with the uh, Soviet, uh, Soviet Union, the Russia, uh, over the Ukrainian situation, and they're going to Uh, divvy up some uh, territory, but since then, over about two, three weeks ago, I had lunch with uh, uh, Secretary Kissinger, and he put his foot down and said, no way uh, should we reward Putin's aggression, which is quite different than his attitude uh, 50 years ago when uh, he was working for President Nixon, and he gave away half of Cyprus. How do you feel today? I feel as I did uh, last time we talked about a month ago, which is that ultimately there's going to be a negotiation here. Um, Our job in the West is to give the Ukrainians all the ammunition, all the intelligence, all the cyber protection, the ability to gain the strongest possible negotiating position. But sooner or later, 
both Russia and Ukraine are going to negotiate. That's how wars end, typically. And um, I think this one will end, John, a lot like the Korean War did. It'll be an armistice. No one will be happy when the line finally gets drawn. Um, how that comes out, nobody knows. But I, I'd be surprised if there was not some give and take across both sides of the line. Again, this is up to the Ukrainians. What are they willing to give up in order to get peace, get security guarantees? And unfortunately, Vladimir Putin will get a vote also, since he's the one who's got 100,000 troops uh, currently inside of Ukrainian territory. So bottom line, John, long way till we get there. It certainly will be after the winter that's coming up. But I would bet sometime in 2023, the parties will get to a negotiating table and I think we'll hopefully get to uh, not a probably peace, but we'll get to an armistice. The war will stop. Reconstruction of Ukraine can begin. That's the goal. Now, the, the other two uh, possible aggressors is uh, China on Taiwan. And we've talked about it uh, many times. Be, and you, your previous book uh, was uh, titled at the War with China by 2034. And then subsequent to that, we said... You said that uh, might be sooner. I've been saying that the reason that uh, both sides of the Senate agreed to create the new uh, the new uh, program or two, what was it, two hundred fifty billion dollars uh, to Chips uh, Act? Yes, because China doesn't want to put us out of business. They told us, uh, you know, uh, you better prepare. We're going to take Taiwan sooner. I think it's unlikely that China is going to make a military move on Taiwan in the next three to five years. Beyond that, so many different things come into play. It gets harder to predict. But if you're President Xi, you're watching this debacle unfold, The really the ongoing military reversals to the Russian armed forces. You're President Xi and you're asking yourself three things. Number one, are my generals as bad as those Russian generals appear to be? Because he doesn't know. China's military has not been in sustained combat since the 1950s. So he's got a lot of uncertainty about his military. Number two, he doesn't know how hard those Taiwanese would fight. Are they going to fight like hell the way the Ukrainians have? I think so. I've been to Taiwan. I've met Madam Tsai, the president. I know the senior military leadership there. I believe they will fight. And I think President Xi therefore looks at the Ukrainians and thinks, hmm, that could be a pretty tough nut to crack. You know, Taiwan is an island. You can't just drive your tanks into Taipei, the capital of Taiwan. So he's got uncertainty in that sense about the Taiwanese. And then thirdly, to your point, John, it's a very good one. He looks at things like the CHIPS Act, and he realizes that his economy is probably too big to completely sanction the way effectively we're doing to Russia. But we could launch precision-guided economic strikes at different parts of the Chinese economy along the lines of the CHIPS Act. He knows we have those cards to play. So for those reasons, as I see the landscape over the next three to five years, personally, I think an attack on Taiwan is unlikely. Agreed. And uh, Taiwan and China are similar to Ukraine and Russia because a lot of Russians in the Ukraine. Are the Ukrainians going to fight? Well, they do, and they did, and they out, uh, they've out outgunned the Russians so far. And, and the other exactly. uncertainty is uh, our friend Erdogan in Turkey is threatening <laughs> the Greek islands. 
you know, if we let Putin get away with too much, he'll take, he'll try to take the 12 Greek islands and say, okay, I'll settle. I'll give back six. <laughs> that sounds like a New York business deal, John. Uh, I don't think so. Um, I am always watching Turkey closely. And yeah, you're right. Erdogan is uh, moving military aircraft around. But I don't believe Erdogan wants to break relations with the West. If he attacked Greece, he would be not only leaving the NATO alliance, he would be in a position of coming into real conflict with the entire alliance. So I, I think it's unlikely that he's going to do that. At the end of the day, I'm obviously worried about Ukraine and Russia. That's happening in front of us. Taiwan, I think, is unlikely, and I think a, a Turkish attack on Greece is even less likely. Understood. Uh, any, we got another minute or so left, or maybe a little more. Any other part of the world you'd like to cover? I would say um, two quick things. One is Brazil just had an extremely important election. It's a huge country, John. 200 million people, one of the largest agrarian nations in the world, big offshore oil, um, huge amounts of land and space. Um, it, it's an important country. They've brought back a president from uh, before Bolsonaro, a man named Lula. Um, he, the good news is the election was run by all accounts fairly. Um, There's no protests on either side. So democracy score one there. And then number two, on the less uh, positive side of the coin, you can't uh, avoid talking about Iran and the ongoing protests, which are led by women, by women and girls. That's uh, the first time in history that I can think of where a, a major protest movement uh, has been led by women. I don't think they're going to be able to flip the Ayatollahs this time. But I think it's a mark of what's coming and just staying in the Middle East. One last thought, Bibi Netanyahu coming back in Israel. Um, watch for the Israelis and the Arabs to come closer together in the face of Iranian uh, activities. That would be wonderful. Now, uh, yep. let's talk about your new book. Tell us about it. Uh it's so nice. Yeah, the new book is called To Risk It All, Nine Conflicts in the Crucible of Decision. And it's a book, John, about something we all do in our lives. It's about taking risk and about doing it under time pressure. And, you know, I think it applies to whether you're in the world of business or the military or law enforcement or a teacher in a classroom. You know, at some point, you'll find yourself in a situation that carries a lot of risk. So the book is To Risk It All, and it uh, came out uh, just a month or so ago, and it's, uh, it's doing very well. Make a great Christmas present for somebody in your life if you allow me to say that. Thanks, John. Well, thank you, and, and I promised you the next time you're in New York, we're going to hold another book party for you. I'm hosting. Deal. Okay, my friend. Thanks for being on. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you so much. You too, sir. With us today is Anthony Scaramucci, the gentleman that had the shortest stay at the White House of anybody we know, but a very successful businessman. And uh, he's calling in uh, this morning from somewhere in the Far East or Middle East. I'm not going to ask him where. Uh, and uh, uh, Anthony Scaramucci, what the heck is going on in cryptocurrency? It looks like a, a small nuclear bomb has gone off. 
Well, first of all, it's always a pleasure to be on with you. Happy Sunday. I will say to you that a catastrophe has happened. I would say it's at least a nuclear bomb. You have uh, the second largest cryptocurrency exchange, an exchange that was tied to Major League Baseball, an exchange that had the naming rights on the Miami Heat Arena. Uh, basically, it appears, and again, I'm going to say appears, John, because uh, we have to let the court process and the Justice Department play itself out. Uh, But the presumption right now is that fraud was committed in that cryptocurrency exchange where they were moving money from the exchange account holders into the owner's personal account. And so the gentleman's name is Sam Bankman-Fried. Full full disclosure, I have a relationship with Sam. He owns a small piece of my business. And so I trusted Sam and I'm not going to revise history. I'll tell you that I like Sam, but I am aghast at what has taken place here. Um, Sam's parents were uh, former, they're now retired, Stanford University law professors. He was considered a darling of the venture capital community, over 25 of the largest venture capitalists in the world, including Tomasic, the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Singapore, Sequoia, uh, a, a list too long even to mention, all of which have now written off their investments to zero. And this has caused a contagion effect in the markets. Uh, Cryptocurrency markets have gone down anywhere from 20 to 30% as a result of this cataclysm. And I just think it speaks to the need to have regulation, broad scale regulation. I think the crypto boys, if you will, the young men and women in the cryptocurrency markets are recognizing now why we have banking regulation in the United States. And so some of this behavior is aberrant and wild. Some of it is flat out fraudulent. So it's distressing to see it happen. Um, But I do believe long-term in the technology, John. Uh, But unfortunately, every time you have a technology that's creating a potential paradigmatic shift in the global economy, you get fraud. You know, that happened with Jay Gould and the robber barons and the railroads. But this is really just a sad thing and a disaster, frankly. Now, uh, what I've been telling people is there's a big distinct uh, difference between Bitcoin and uh, the bank-issued cryptocurrency. Uh, How do you view that? Yes. Well, I I would say to you that the blockchain technology, uh, which we believe is a faster mechanism to handle transactions, will eventually be adopted. Uh, There are cryptocurrencies out there. There is Bitcoin, which is the leading currency, and there are cryptocurrencies out there. But the banks just made an announcement in coordination with the Fed that they're going to try a digitization of the dollar, if you will, um, there are stable coins out there that are, are denominated in U.S. dollar, um, but I just think it's more evidence that this is coming, meaning the transformation into the digitization of our transactions. I guess the big difference is if, if I bought a cryptocurrency from J.P. Morgan, uh, I can call up my J.P. Morgan guy and say, um, you know, if I have a problem, I want my money. Uh, and there's nobody yep. really to talk to in Bitcoin, right? Yeah, well, listen, I think Bitcoin is probably the safest among those currencies because it, it's the, it's decentralized. But I think you're making a broader point. J.P. Morgan is stable. It has a ton of reserves, and it's backing uh, its account holders. I think what happened here is that the, in the case of FTX, um, you bought your Bitcoin, uh, but they were borrowing off your Bitcoin without you knowing about it. So when you went to withdraw your Bitcoin, 
uh, the account got frozen. So this would be this would be sort of uh, the pre-banking regulations of the 1930s. This would be something akin to what was going on in the 1920s uh, after the stock market crash. If the FTX people stole or misallocated uh, the money, and that's why there was a problem in Bitcoin, not because there was a problem in Bitcoin. Yeah, I think this is this is fraud. You know, the, the potential. Again, I want to say potential because I'm not a. You know, I, I don't. I don't want to put people in jail. In our country, we have the presumption of innocence, but the, the allegation is fraud. He won't yeah. go. He won't go to jail. He was a contributor to the Democratic Party. <laughs> okay, well, you need a few laps in a serious well, uh, conversation. Yeah, no, listen. I mean, listen. I, I, I uh, you know, it's sort of shocking what's going on. I mean, they're propping him up in the media. The New York Times is propping him up. Um, he's uh, hasn't been arrested yet, despite the fact that the money is missing. He's holed up in the Bahamas. I guess we do have an extradition treaty with the Bahamas, and he did steal American money. So, I mean, Amer- customers that were American. So, I I don't I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I will say this though, since you brought that up, if this was a Republican situation, uh, there would be a screed going on on the side of the Democrats. I mean, you know that, and I know that. So, um, you know, here we are again. You know. He'd be in solitary confinement in the basement someplace. <laughs> I didn't realize the Sunday show became a comedy show for that TV. <laughs> well, yeah, you need that. listen, uh, <laughs> Anthony. We need a few laughs. Would you consider your fund like a mutual fund of uh, of uh, of crypto? Oh, a limited partner. Yeah. Well, we don't. We, they won't allow for the ETF. Yeah, but we have a limited partnership. Um, our cryptocurrency tokens are in cold storage, meaning they're unclipped from the internet so they can't be hacked. They're located up at Fidelity. There's a layer of insurance on top of them from Lloyds of London, which is effectively like an FTIC. Uh, God forbid if something happened, they, you get the full backing with the insurance. Not quite a mutual fund. Uh, I don't think the regulations are in place for that. I guess the best example I can give you, though, John, this is like the internet in 1997. It's new. Some of the stuff is untested. There are some people out there that are operating fast and loose, which is unfortunate. Um, but the real question is, will the technology catch on and will it be adopted? And I believe longer term it will. Anthony Scaramucci, thank you so much. And uh, travel safe. And uh, God bless you and God bless America. Thank you so much. With us today is Mario Economo, uh, who's been a, a banker in uh, Switzerland and Zurich and in Europe in uh, New York, Philadelphia, and uh, usually gives us a good report on what's really going on in Europe. Uh, Mario, uh, give us a report. Where, where, where the heck is going on? Yes, good morning, everybody. So let's discuss uh, interest rates. So we know the Federal Reserve in the U.S. is going to be increasing interest rates, and realistically, it looks like the U.S. will continue increasing interest rates through at least the first quarter, if not even the second quarter of next year. The reason for this, obviously, is we are being told that the increases the Federal Reserve has been making have been having no impact on inflation. In fact, American consumers continue to spend. The Federal Reserve will continue to do that. Uh, The ECB, the European Central Bank, will also be increasing interest rates in December, and there was some discussion that they would increase them as well in January, although they are taking a wait-and-see attitude to see whether or not the increases that they've thus far made in the eurozone will actually have an impact and will reduce inflation. 
The problem is if the U.S. Federal Reserve continues to increase interest rates and the European Central Bank stops, we will see a major shift of money coming into the U.S. Uh, the euro will weaken, and once the euro weakens, you can expect to see inflation in the eurozone actually go up, given that it will cost more for energy, which is priced in dollars, to make its way into the eurozone. The Europeans will have to sell more euros in order to be able to buy more dollars in order to be able to buy the energy that they need. So this will create a, not only a recession in the eurozone, but it would also create uh, substantially more inflation going into next year. Are they getting the, the product in regardless of the price? Are they getting sufficient amount? Yes. Yeah, so uh, right now, uh, the reserves, the stock of gas, natural gas in the, the European Union is roughly at 90 percent. Storage facilities are full. The cold really has only started settling in. So the reserves are far from depleted. Realistically, two months from now, probably somewhere around mid-January, the reserves will start being depleted. One, once that happens, the Europeans are going to need to actually once again start buying large amounts of natural gas on the market. This is actually going to be interesting to see with respect to how it develops because we're now being told that given the large missile strikes that the Russians have been doing in the Ukraine on Ukrainian infrastructure and specifically natural gas infrastructure, the Ukraine itself is going to need to start importing natural gas either in the form of LNG or in the form of natural gas. Once the Ukraine also opens itself up to the natural gas market in order to be able to provide heat for its own people, uh, we will see the price of natural gas start to go up. Right now, as we speak, the Ukraine, uh, across much of the Ukraine, there are blackouts. Many of the cities in the Ukraine are experiencing 50% power loss, some as high as 90%. The city of Lviv, which is uh, next to, uh, in western Ukraine, is actually experiencing a 90% blackout. And it's starting to get cold in the Ukraine. The first snow has fallen and much of the city there remains in darkness. If you have a nightmare at 3 o'clock in the morning, what's your nightmare if, if your family is li living in Europe? What is your nightmare? In a war of attrition, the Russians will ultimately win. So it probably makes sense for the Ukrainians, and I know they're getting a lot of pressure, President Zelensky is from President Biden, as well as the European leadership, to sit down and discuss with Russia an end to the war. The Ukrainians, and specifically President Zelensky, are refusing to do so because they are saying they're reclaiming land, land which the Russians had taken, and they believe they can successfully liberate the uh, whole eastern quarter of the Ukraine that the Russians uh, now hold, save for Kherson. Uh, the reality is the Americans are concerned about the amount of weapon systems that are being sent to the Ukraine and that are being used and depleted by the Ukrainians. And the reality is, I'm not sure how much stock and reserve we in America have and the Europeans in Europe have to be able to continue to provide these weapon systems for the complete liberation of the Ukraine. My concern is if we do not have an end, and I don't suspect we will have an end before the spring of next year at this point, but if we don't have an end by the spring of next year, the situation in Europe, in the European Union, in the Eurozone, will become very, very difficult. In fact, much more so than it is now. Uh, you will start to see, apart from inflation tearing into people's incomes and, and living standards, you'll actually start to see people's living standards start to drop. 
I understand on Friday they were picketing the American embassy to Greeks and telling the Americans to get the heck out. Who are those people? Well, that's on that's the November 17th, which was on Thursday, and that's an annual um, that's an annual march that they do on the U.S. embassy, and it goes back to a period when there was the military dictatorship in Greece, uh, and therefore um, many of these people. Uh, not only the left, like a lot of people say, but a lot of centrists as well, participate in this march uh, in commemoration of many of the people who did die uh, at the hands of the generals in Greece, the military dictatorship, which was supported by the United States at the time. Having said that, I think it's important for everybody in America to understand that even though the Greece, the Greeks march on that day to the U.S. Embassy, the relationship between Greece and the U.S. today is the strongest that has ever been, and I think it's important to know that irrespective of which government leads Greece, whether it's the current right-wing government or if eventually the center-left government of Syriza does come back, the relationship between Greece and America is too strong at this point to ever be broken. And I suspect that even if the left-leaning Syriza government does come back, they will continue in the footsteps of the current government and, in fact, will continue to strengthen the relationship here. Mario, before we get 10, 15 seconds, anything with uh, uh, the U.K.? The U.K. at the moment is pretty much relatively quiet. The new uh, prime minister is settling into his job. The fact that it is quiet, it means it's good news. It means that the U.K. is trying to pull itself together and try to figure its way out of the mess that it was recently in. Mario Economo, thank you for the update on Europe, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you. Enjoy your and day. And happy Thanksgiving Day if you're in the United States. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. NYC.